0: Hey everybody, John M here with just a real quick announcement before we begin the episode this week. I recorded the introduction to this episode uh, over a week ago because I knew I was going to have a busy week of uh, business travel, so I wanted to get things squared away. You will hear me referencing our March 20th Sober Speak live event uh, here in Frisco, Texas and um after much prayer and consideration, I decided to go ahead and cancel the event. This was not an easy decision by any means. I spoke with uh, Samara uh, earlier in this week, and uh, we discussed it. And it seems like it is the best thing to do for all involved uh, during these uncertain times. Uh, we don't want to be having a uh, large gathering like that. So I just want to let you know that when you hear me referencing uh march 20th sober speak live it has actually been canceled and we will get sumera s rescheduled in short order and i will have announcements about that coming up
1: but what we're talking about here in in the first three steps of recovery those first three steps are preparing me to be as spiritually fit as i can possibly be for somebody who's yet to come
0: Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. That was the voice of Mr. Jimmy D that so many of you will recognize that you heard at the beginning of this episode and you're going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode, the one you're listening to right here, right now at this very moment is brought to you by... Randy. You know what Randy did? Randy went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. He clicked on the little yeller donate tab and he made a contribution. Thank you so much, Mr. Randy, for your generous contribution. This, my friend, this episode is going right out to you. Now, as we have an agreement with the other listeners, we are going to let them listen on in to this episode along with us. But this episode is coming right out to you, Mr. Randy. Thank you very much. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly, truly honored to serve all of you listening in. So you're asking, or so, so you want to know, John M., what in the world Maybe going on on March twentieth, seven p.m. in the city of Frisco, Texas. Well, and I tell you that we're gonna have sober speak live. And it will feature Sumera S. from the Clean Air North Group here in North Texas. And we are looking so forward to seeing all of you there. For those of you who can't make it, I realize that many of you cannot make it. But it will be held at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, Texas on Main Street. And if you need the address and all that other stuff, uh, go to our website, SoberSpeak.com. And uh, it is right there on the landing page. Uh, we also have this in Eventbrite. For uh, those of you who are familiar with Eventbrite and want to sign up there, uh, if you do sign up there, you get notifications of our, uh, our, our all of our other up, upcoming uh, Sober Speak live events. All right. So we are going to get right to it today. And uh, Mr. Jimmy D is sharing on steps one, two, and three. I know many of you are going to recognize Jimmy D from several other episodes that we've had him on. Um, And uh, during this episode, he talks about the doctor's opinion. He talks about the psychic allergy, the mental obsession. Uh, And he also talks about his upbringing as what he called a crisis Catholic. I had never heard that term before. Really enjoyed that. And he's going to share so much more and keep in mind that I will have plenty of listener feedback. That's for my uh, Irish friends out there. Plenty o listener feedback at the end of this episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, strap on your seatbelt. Enjoy the ride. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Mr. Jimmy D. Okay, so we are sitting here again today with Mr. Jimmy D. Hello, Jimmy D. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so glad you were here. So glad to have you back. Jimmy D, for those of you who may not know it, uh, if you're new to this podcast, has been, well, we had him at a Sober Speak live event, and then we probably had him on two or three other episodes. I can't remember, but he is a fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. We get a lot of that's uh, good. We get a lot of feedback when Jimmy D appears. So we today are going to cover some of the basics of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you will. Uh first of all, Jimmy, go ahead, introduce yourself and give your sobriety date if you wish, please.
1: My name's Jimmy D. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been sober since August the twenty fifth of nineteen ninety seven. Thankful for that.
0: Yeah. Me too, and I'm sure a lot of other people. Lots are of people
1: capable. are thankful for that.
0: <laughs> okay. So, so we are going to cover today. We're going to cover steps one, two, and three of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Jimmy, uh, let's just this dive right into it. So, step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become un manageable. What comes to mind for you? Well, I
1: think that uh, at the beginning of my journey in Alcoholics Anonymous, my first sponsor uh, introduced me to the doctor's opinion in the book. Uh, He felt like it was vitally important for me to have a reconciliation with the Alcoholics Anonymous definition of alcoholism. Uh, not to say that we have any opinion on any other definition, uh, but that uh, you know, one of the things that I think about is I had not yet realized the depth at which I was uh, I was suffering. Um, I. Um, I remember saying something somewhat a little bit flippantly. And I said, you know, I get a sense of ease and comfort just driving to the liquor store because I know what's at the liquor store, right? I haven't even ingested yet. Um, but, you know, always overshooting the mark. You know, we talk about that, right? And so uh, that doctor's opinion was important. And then and then we had some discussions. And later on, I I think I learned that, that part of those discussions were, you know, were not to vet me because, you know, I'm gonna be afforded my own, you know, that's a hundred percent my own, but I should you know, I think it's right when we say in Alcoholics Anonymous that perhaps that is the the only step that we need to take absolutely.
0: And I want to back up just for a second. For those of uh, there, there are a lot of people who are listening to this uh, maybe for the first time, and they are curious regarding uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps and such. And so, why don't you describe to them where in the book the doctor's opinion is and who the doctor actually is?
1: So, the doctor's opinion is at the very beginning of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, The pages are numbered as Roman numerals to set them off. Uh, They're actually in a different type style than the actual first 164 pages of the book. Uh, It is the only part of the text uh, that is written by a non-alcoholic, including the chapters that talk about the families of alcoholics. They were obviously written by AA members, right? Um, And Silkworth went out on limb for that chapter. Because at the time that the book was being written, in you know 38, 1939, uh Alcoholics Anonymous was unknown as a society, and uh, and we're not going to you know we're not going to go too deep into into that, but uh, but it was not a feather in Doctor Silksworth's cap uh, to have anything published with his name on it. In fact, the original thoughts were that it would be just an anonymous doctor who was giving an opinion uh, based on what he had seen in Bill, the changes that he had seen in Bill, this, what Dr. Silkworth terms the psychic change. Uh, but he talks about the spiritual aspect of alcoholism, uh, the physical aspect of alcoholism, uh, and uh, there's something else I think I'm forgetting. Mental. mental yeah, mental obsession. Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, so you wanted to understand or your sponsor wanted you to understand the definition of alcoholism from from the doctor opinions perspective. Um, Do I remember? Do I I hear that right? Right.
1: So not, you know, not in any way related to genetic predisposition to alcoholism. Or, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, I didn't have two natural parents when I grew up or, you know, it was not any relation to my socioeconomic status or the job that I had or didn't have or any of that other stuff, right? Um, I guess I would say, you know, to be able to foster ownership, right? Because later on, I'm going to be challenged with ownership of my actions, which I'm going to find out later are really my problem. But i got to know that uh, I can't drink successfully first.
0: So part of that not drinking successfully is the physical allergy. Absolutely. So talk about the physical allergy and a little bit about what the doctor says about that.
1: The doctor, uh, Dr. Silkworth, describes, in our, and I reconcile that, and he talks about uh, that we are fundamentally different uh, and that uh, we drink essentially for the effect produced by alcohol. And uh, and absolutely that is uh, that rings true for me. Um, I felt different when I drank, and uh, and I felt uh, fear when I started to drink, and felt like we weren't able to finish that process. That was fear, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it and I, f- I I felt it physically. Uh, and the men that I have had the opportunity to work with that have you know, have formed that sense of identification. Uh, they also have the same types of descriptions. You know, my, my stomach felt different. My heart
0: beat differently. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah. So there's a physical allergy part, and then there's the mental obsession piece, which the book talks about the differentiators as well, kind of draw us back to that alcohol time after time. Any examples in your life by any chance of when that may have happened to you?
1: um, Well, you know, we say uh, we can't differentiate the true from the false and that we can't recall with sufficient force uh, pain and suffering, uh, recent pain and suffering. Um, I went to a Christmas party, considering that this is holiday time of the year that we're visiting with each other, and uh, at a country club that I didn't belong to, but my grandmother did. And, uh, and I was drunk when I got there. My biggest comp- client for my company uh, was hosting that Christmas party. And uh, the chairman of the, of the company was also the chairman of that country club that year. So you could not have lined it up any uh, better, let's say. And, uh, and so some of those people that knew me in that, in that bank, it was a bank, some people that knew me, tried to get me over at a table in the corner uh, because I was, uh, I was not behaving well. And, uh, and so, you know, I got up to find my keys and uh, in an alcoholic stupor, and I uh, fell flat on my head on a flagstone path right in front of the club, and, uh, and they thought I'd broken my back, strapped me to a board, and took me downtown in an ambulance. Uh, and, you know, by 11 o'clock the next morning, I was drunk again. Mm. I was drunk again.
0: Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem to last real long. Uh, We have a tendency to forget what we went through uh, very quickly. Yeah. All right, so let's move on then a little bit to step number two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So to me, I guess there's two components to that. Number one is the, the spiritual part of that, I came to believe power greater than ourselves. And then there's the insanity piece of that on the back end, which you hear referenced in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so why don't you, t- you tackle those two arenas, uh, people struggling with coming to believe and then on the back end of that, what the book means by sanity.
1: I would think um, I would start out, my own experience was contempt prior to investigation. Uh, and, uh, and I was not an atheist when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, but I was certainly disinterested in, uh, in any type of surrender to, to or formation of a power uh, now, Alcoholics Nom is a spiritual society, not a religious society. Um, but I would, I would say that, uh, you know, my sponsor did, did me a great favor. I was in a home group and, uh, and we had an open meeting once a week. And, you know, people dressed up. They dressed up like they used to dress up before they got sober for Saturday night. I mean, uh, not in hoochie clothes. <laughs> but uh, but they dressed up and uh, and I thought, you know these people they have no idea, right? I mean you know I had I had material things, but I was you know I was at zero. And he said, you need to make sure you get a calendar and find out when these people tell their story. and I want you to make sure you make every effort you can to go. And then I want you to come back, and I want you to tell me how they got here from there on their own. And I couldn't do it. Mm. Even people, year of sobriety, two years of sobriety, I mean, you know, some struggles, uh, huge struggles, some high-bottom drunks, we would say, very high-bottom drunks. But they had found and believed most days that there was a power that they could cite— that was responsible for their new way of living and thinking. And and they had left, kind of left, just like the book, and I'm trying to insert quotes, but they're apropos. They left the drink question aside. They didn't spend a lot of time talking about how they didn't drink one day at a time. Mm -hmm. They talked about how they lived one day at a time. They talked about how they had relationships with people that they weren't even welcome in their homes before they came to Alcoholics Anonymous because they, were, they had been consistent in thought and action, and they believed that this God of their understanding, the God of their understanding, was giving them the power to act and speak and respond in a way that was radically different from the way that they had done before, and they talked about actions that they took before they came to Alcoholics Anonymous in sobriety. In other words, they were sober when they took the actions. And, uh, and some of the actions were more heinous than the things they did when they were drunk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: What kind of spiritual background did you have, a religious background? Coming, in? You said you were an atheist, but how would you describe it?
1: I was a, I was a crisis Catholic when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> and that's no slight to the, you know, and sometimes, you know, people, and I understand, I respect that sometimes people will not actually name a faith because we don't, I, I certainly don't want uh, a negative connotation. Uh, between my faith of origin and, uh, and you know, my bad behavior. Uh, but I would run to the church. In uh, a crisis. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, that priest would give me the most idiotic things to do. He'd say, you know, we're going to go down on St. Paul Street and feed the homeless on Sunday. And I'd say, I just gave you big problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, work, as I phrased it, was not a solution to those problems. So what he was doing is exactly what happens, I believe, with us in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, our problems pale in comparison when we're sent to to be of service to the people about us. And that's exactly what he was trying to do. But I struggled. And I read the chapter, We Agnostics, and I, and I think that deserves airtime. Over and over and over and over again. And uh, and I was just, uh, I wasn't told that I needed to believe in something. I was told that I needed to be willing to believe in something. Mm. And I think that reconciles with the text of the book. God either is or God isn't. It doesn't say anything about that I recognize God. It says, is it or isn't it? And, uh, and I've worked with a lot of people and known a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous, and the definition of what God is uh, is as broad brush topic as, as anything in AA.
0: Were you neutral or uh, happy to hear or sad to hear that, you, that in Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the subject of God was going to be brought up?
1: No, because um, in my first few months of sobriety— uh, I was in, well, all my all, really all my sobriety, but especially in the first few months, I was in a book study on Thursday night, and I think when I actually got sober, uh, we were in uh, the chapter, We Agnostics, and so every Thursday night, I heard people talking about God and, and their conception of God. Now, I respect that if uh, you know, secular religion uh, is your definition of your higher power, that's fine. But as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I tried to emulate what I was shown when I was new, and that's that sometimes mentioning Jesus in an AA meeting can be as offensive as a drug addict talking about needles hanging out of their arm for 15 minutes. It's that much of an outside issue to us, and I don't say that to offend anyone. I mean, you know, outside of my AA membership, I am not a regular participant in organized religion, but I see it with a brand new pair of eyeballs, and uh, and I was shown the love of a church, uh, and how community participation for the greater good was uh, was uh, food for my soul, uh, and I rejected those concepts. But I have a newfound appreciation. You know, I uh, real quick, and I know we we, we don't spend too much time. I've been sober about three or four months, and a girl that I'd known all my life was getting married, and the bishop was coming, because they were a big Lebanese family, and so, you know, it was going to be the Catholic wedding to end all Catholic weddings, and so I'm a guy who couldn't even sit through Saturday afternoon, you know, and Saturday afternoon, in my faith, is we call it anticipated mass, which means you anticipate being too hungover to get up on Sunday morning, (laughs) so you go... On Saturday afternoon, and I mean, I could grab a miscellette and wonder why nothing was changing. So again, I'm sober. I might have been October or November. I was sober three or four months, and I asked my sponsor if I could go to the wedding and, and the reception. And he said, well, you need to check with me between the wedding and the reception because, you know, I had not, I had not done well with wedding receptions before I got sober. I hear and you. And it was just a little, you know, temperature check. And, uh, and I mean, I'm I'm not kidding you. They incensed everything. She put flowers in front of every statue in that church. It lasted at least an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, it was the longest <laughs> wedding in history. And I left that church and didn't have a cell. We didn't have cell phones back then. And I went up to the a uh, quickie mart up at the corner up the street from the church. I couldn't wait to get up there. And I called Greg, my sponsor. And I said, you will not believe it. You will not believe it. And he said, what is it? And I said, that church has changed. Uh, it is nothing like what it used to be. And he said, Jimmy, I'm not a member of that church, but I would safely say that the service you just observed hadn't changed marginally in a thousand years. Right. Your perception has changed. Yeah. As Chuck
0: C. would call it, a new pair of glasses. Absolutely,
1: a new pair of glasses. And, you know, there is no um, revisionist history in Alcox Namas. And, uh, and I think that it's important for us. And, you know, we have societies, subsets of AA members, uh, and we respect their ability to be autonomous uh, to a point other than changing the steps. Hmm. And they can be free thinkers at whatever level they feel like they're comfortable in being free thinkers. But I'll pitch out there for those that are blatantly atheist. In other words, I'm not talking about big G-O-D, but just no higher power whatsoever. Uh, And I steal this from my, my my current sponsor. He says, not believing in anything is believing in something.
0: That's right. Yeah, uh, coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was more um, agnostic, and the reason I was more agnostic is because being atheist actually took work.
1: Yes, exactly. I know. <laughs> I understand that. You have to formulate
0: that. some ideas and opinions and be able to uh, argue it and all that. But shit. I,
1: but I would hope, and you know, I am as uh, I am as structured of an AA member, and probably somewhat conservative. Uh, if we looked at the, let's say the 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 graph of AA membership, I'm certainly in a, you know, in a conservative part of the graph, um, but I think we need to give people a lot of room in order to develop, uh, accept, uh, and enlarge that spiritual consciousness. Uh, there are many things that I think we can cut corners on. Uh, As we go along the journey in sobriety Uh, with just 22 years, but having 22 years in the active and involved in the program. The one part that I don't see uh, that can be left out in any way whatsoever uh, is reconciliation with the spiritual aspect of the program, because it's the only aspect of the program when we really have anything else. Okay.
0: Okay. So. When we think about the second piece of the second step, there, uh, where it talks about the insanity piece being restored to sanity, a lot of people struggle with that word, what it means. I'm not insane. Talk about your experience with that.
1: Well, I had, uh, I, I, you know, the what does the book say? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Um. I I find it interesting and I would speak to it in the first person. I bowed up a little bit, right? I bow up with the word insanity. It's a harsh word. It's a harsh word and it's not hard to understand. It almost sounds like what it means, right? It's uh it's not something that anybody aspires to. But um when I uh when I looked at just little snippets of the way that I had uh, conducted my life, the way that I had run my life before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, It is insane to take a drink uh, before you know that a field officer from the Dallas County Adult Probation Department is coming to visit you at your home because you're on probation for driving drunk. I mean, that's insane. Right. Uh, Now, I did not know at the time... Uh, that I could not drink. I just wanted to calm my nerves so he didn't think something was wrong with me when he came by. I didn't realize I'd be half drunk in the hour that it took while I waited for him to come, right? I could not just have one drink. I couldn't just have one drink. Um, And there were many, many occurrences um, that were along those same lines. I think the, uh, the insanity of expecting that another human being would continue to tolerate my behavior, and treat me with any degree of respect or kindness. Now, they loved me just like they loved you, because they loved us unconditionally Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. But, But, you know, that love turns on them, and it makes them just as sick as we are. And I really did believe and expect that people were treating me harshly even after I came in, like I, for example, today, I'm a guest in your home, and uh, and I don't have to have any kind of a card or a cheat sheet to tell me what is generally acceptable behavior regardless of whose home you might come into. There are children in this home, and before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, w- beyond my control i could have shown up at your doorstep in a way that was absolutely unacceptable and said and done things that were beyond inappropriate
0: you have behaved very well today (laughs) (laughs) let's
1: get that don't cut that part (laughs) keep that on the record but uh but you know the insanity aspect i know people get really stuck and uh and so you know the um If we just listen to our stories, that's really, I think, one of the reasons that the book asks us to um, share in a general way what we were like, is to give tangible examples of how a guy like me, in my cups, that unpredictable behavior is such that The actions that I take some sometimes are they're insane. There's a reason why we're put in psychiatric wards before they figure out whether or not we're alcoholic. (laughs) That's right. I mean, that's the initial. That's where we get collected. You go to the psych ward, and rightly so, because I'm not of my own mind. Yeah.
0: We will be continuing our conversation with Mr. Jimmy D in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at SoberSpeak.com. And there you will find a uh, 100 plus other episodes that you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website. Uh, if and only if the Spirit moves you to use it, you can do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes all right now back to mr jimmy d all right so let's talk then a little bit about the third step uh and may i almost forgot it there made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this god as we understood him. And as you know, they put that as we understood him in there, and it was uh, either a stroke of genius or just um, uh, God-inspired, however you want to look at it, but it has done wonderful things for our society.
1: Well, a result of the first group Consciences of Alcoholics Anonymous, sidebar deal. But the as we understand him part was because even with our f- – Fledgling membership, Bill said 100, there might have been 70 sober people in AA fighting between Akron and New York about the manuscript for the book. And, you know, we had Fitz, who was, his stories in the book, our southern friend, he's the one in the text of the book, who are you to say there is no God? It's minister's son. And then we had another guy who did not stay sober continually till death. But we had another guy who said, it's unacceptable. This on-your-knees stuff, this God period stuff is not reconcilable with all of our experiences. We've had spiritual experiences of the educational variety. And so this modification of the step was in line with modification of other parts of the text. Um, I, at least that's the story that I've always heard. And uh, and thank goodness that we have that as we understand him, and uh, and we knew that we needed to be um, a book or a text or a society that could have um, uh, could be used uh, by people of many faiths or no faith at all. You know, the topic of Alcoholics Anonymous was shopped uh, in the faith of my birth. Uh, because to make sure that Catholics would not have fundamental objections uh, because they did not believe that Catholics should be excluded from, uh, from you know, membership in AA or active participation in AA. Um, so I've cheated and opened the book because it talks about what? Selfishness and self-centeredness. That's the root of our trouble. So it's telling me already early on, this is third step. And we've already moved on from talking about whether or not I take a drink. Cause it's ready at that point, at the third step, when I'm, you know, when I've thought well, the book says, I thought well before I took the step. Not a single other step in the book, Alcox Anonymous, talks about thinking well before taking it.
0: Mm. And thought about that. So
1: I've really considered because the first 70 odd people thought, boy. This is a cornerstone of recovery, right? We've left our problem. We know we have it. I identify that I have this thing that human beings cannot intercede on my behalf. I've asked them to. They've tried to without me asking, and it still had not worked.
0: You're beyond human aid. I'm
1: beyond human aid. And then we get that part that, at least in our part of the AA world, we read every single AA meeting. We read the first part of Chapter 5. And then right after that, it says, being convinced of all that stuff, everything we read, right? And then the chant, chant, chant. God couldn't what if he were sought, right? I'd rather listen than chant in my world. Thank you very much. Sidebar deal, right? (laughs) But then it says, being convinced we were at step three. What does that mean? Selfishness and self-centeredness. It says, any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And when I read that for the very first time, and when I read that for the 10,000th time, I see over and over again, not that I don't need to take actions, but I need to take actions based on where I think I can be of maximum service to God and the people about me. And I have to prayerfully consider w- what those actions are, and And, uh, and the books is something um it says when we sincerely take the took that position all sorts of remarkable things followed.
0: Okay so when we sincerely took what position? The
1: position of surrendering to a power and continuing to surrender. You know the old man from California sage old bird will say that the third step is when I really got into that I threw my towel into the ring, right? I surrendered. And every single day since that day, I've been taking little bitty bits of that towel back,
0: right? Clancy, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Good old man, right? Some people love him, some people hate him, and he likes both. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's a, uh, I think it's a legitimate analogy, right? I take that step as absolutely as I possibly can at the time that I'm, quote-unquote, formally introduced. I said the prayer with my sponsor um my spiritual advisor and uh and I have uh I have had this you know yin and yang back and forth uh with the degree at which I surrender things ever since
0: so do you remember actually taking that oh, first absolutely. step okay tell me about that experience
1: 4 months i guess or 4 or 5 months in the program not that the timeline excuse me necessarily means anything but it was this time of year 1997 And, uh, and we had a big meeting on that, that book study on Thursday night, my original home groups, big meeting, um, big for us, 60 or 70 people and everybody, lots of people had early commitments. So it was about, you know, I showed up maybe 30 minutes before the meeting started. And, uh, and so my sponsor had not made an appointment with me, but he asked me if I had hit my knees that morning and asked God for a day of sobriety that had been my direction from the time I got sober. And I told him I had taken that action. He said, do you think that action's making any difference? And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I haven't thought about drinking all day today. And, uh, and he carried me over to the corner of the room, and he popped open his book, and he said, we're going to make this commitment and take this step together. And, uh, and he read the prayer. I didn't read it. And, uh, and at first blush, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to kneel in this room with 15 or 20 people all milling around here and there. And, uh, and he did it, and I was afraid to say I wouldn't do it, um, so I did it as well, and I realized something else fairly profound for me at the time, and that's uh, that members of Alcoholics Anonymous are so self-centered, even in sobriety, that nobody even knew. Nobody in that room even knew that we were over there kneeling in the corner of the room that cared less about mm-hmm. any of that stuff. I've, uh, I've taken this prayer in a parking lot at Denny's on Central Expressway. I don't think it matters— anywhere, or everywhere about what you do, where you do it, uh, but uh, but how much commitment you have behind it.
0: Do you remember coming out of that, having having any sort of different feeling, or was it just now you knew, okay, it was time to do some more work?
1: I knew it was time to do work. I mean, the assignment came, you know, almost immediately, right, to begin the process of the inventory. And, uh, and I think that's by design uh, because um, – you know, I, I did feel good about the fact that I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was um, smoke and mirroring the deal when I said, you know, when I, when I knelt with him and he said that prayer. Um, I had seen the results of uh, surrender uh, with members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I'd seen the power of the presence of God as they understood God with skin on it. And that was really important. Uh, And, you know, fifth tradition aside, isn't that really why we have meetings anyway? Why in the world are we continuing to create thousands upon thousands upon thousands of meetings uh, where our topics seem to be uh, selfish
0: topics? Explain that a little bit more.
1: I think we gather together in Alcoholics Anonymous in order to show the new man or the new woman that we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I think that's a charge that is an unspoken charge. It doesn't need to be part of the format of the, or the opening of the meeting. That to the best of my ability, I need to approach a room where two or three alcoholics are gathered together for sobriety and bring solution. Because I have no idea how many people are in there that have not been offered anything like what we've been offered. And so the problems of the day, and in 22 years, I've had a lot of problems, a lot of problems of a magnitude that I would have probably blown out of proportion, but they were certainly big problems. So if I come into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and I say, my wife left me today, or I lost my job today, or I had a wreck and somebody died in the wreck, or... You know, my grandmother died, which she did the day, I mean, I was in an AA meeting that night, and my grandmother died today, but when I said, my grandmother died today, and she raised me, and she's the only parent I've had for all of these years, I remembered what those people shared with me when I was new, and there were ellipses after my comment, not an exclamation point, and I said, but God will do for me what I cannot do for myself, and I'm here to see if I can do something for somebody else. Hmm. And I got better. I, of course, was benefited. Whether anyone else was benefited or not, I have absolutely no idea. But if I had left that room with a period at the end of my statement, I would have felt worse when I left than I did when I came. It's a completely different approach to, I, I think, why we do what we do. Uh, Our society perhaps has been indirectly influenced by forces outside of our society and are a lot of people who unknowingly come to Alcoholics Anonymous as if we are a self-help program and we're not a self-help program. By definition, we are not that. Now, if we need to be, we need to create some literature to back that up. But what we're talking about here in, in the first three steps of recovery, those first three steps are preparing me to be as spiritually fit as I can possibly be for somebody who's yet to come.
0: Love it, Jimmy. All right. Anything <laughs> else you want to say about no, steps I, one, I, two? I've probably three. really
1: said enough now. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs>
0: But that's why we that's why I have the podcast, right? Because I've been able to have, you know, lunch and dinner and talk to people like you after meetings. And, you know, I want to keep it kind of based on the 12 steps, the the podcast as a whole. But I also want to see I want to let people hear kind of, I guess you would. Um, Some of the conversations that go on behind the scenes, what people think, and have a—this is not a a meeting where I'm going to be concerned about you cross-talking or whatever, and you can actually get some of your ideas out there.
1: Right, and I uh, don't—you know, I—there's no requirement for, I guess, what we would say would be political correctness, but just as with you, I get around to a lot of places— And there are reasons why we see what we would consider to be huge AA groups in our city who celebrate from one to five years of sobriety, maybe three or four people for each one of those years. And then when we go from six to ten, we see maybe two at each one of those years, six to ten. And then when you get up to 11 and over 11, which is really not a long time to be sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, we may have one at 12 and one at 15, and then we shoot on up to 25 or 30 or 35 years of sobriety. And frankly, I think people get bored. And the reason they get bored is I don't know that they've, that they've ever really prayerfully considered the basic purpose of the fellowship to which we all belong. And we're charged with trying to the best of our ability to help the still-suffering alcoholic.
0: And that's what we're trying to do here today, aren't we? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jimmy, for coming in. I sure do appreciate it. God bless you. I'm going to read page 164 of the big book to close us out. And it says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God, much like we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us like me and Mr Jimmy as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you until then do you have something you want to read there to see you looking at the
1: No book? no no I just wanted to read along with you and it's it interesting because the writing of the book was so fractured there was no element of a common theme in the text of the book. And you just read the last paragraph of the entire text, and it reconciles perfectly with what we've been talking about in the
0: first three steps. As it should. Yeah. All right. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Thank for, you for having me. me. Yeah. Was a pleasure. If you need to get in touch with Jimmy D., and or you have any comments regarding Jimmy D or any of the other speakers that we bring on here, feel free to reach out to me at J O H N at soberspeak.com and I will hook you up appropriately. Uh, and if you are not in the super secret Facebook group and you would like to be part of that Facebook group, please send me your email associated with your Facebook account. That's the tr- thats the tricky part that people sometimes uh, do not uh, pay attention to, but you need to pay attention. I need the email associated with the Facebook group. If you want to join that, send me your email to johnjohnsoverspeak.com. And if you are not following us on the Instagram, well, I would highly suggest you do that. Miss Cassandra has many amazing posts in that group uh, or in that on that platform i should say and we're at sober speak all one word now on to a little bit of listener feedback from you the listener now that makes sense doesn't it yes listener feedback where else would listener feedback come from of course it's going to be from you the listener mark writes in and he is from gamblers anonymous and he said hey john I'm a compulsive gambler and I attend GA, but I need more than that. So also giving your podcast a try to understand the steps better. Thanks. Well, that is great, Mark. I am glad that we can serve as a supplement to your program in GA. Now, when I first saw that GA, I thought he attends Georgia. But then, uh, then I, I read a little closer, and I figured out what it was. But thank you very much, Mark, for writing in, and I'm glad we can uh, uh, be a part of your journey. Suzanne writes in. Suzanne says, Hi, John. <clears throat> Just touching base. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Excuse moi. She says, Hi, John. Just touching base to say how much I enjoy your podcast. I enjoyed listening to episode number 125 with Renee E., I've never read or can't remember reading the keys to the kingdom before, but now, wow, that was amazing. It's going in my phone notes as a go-to reading when I need to get out of myself. I even shared it with a sponsee and passed the message along. Just wanted to tell you how grateful I am for SoberSpeak serving as my meeting between meetings. Thanks for all you do, Suzanne. Well, thank you, Suzanne. And I passed along your uh, message to Miss Renee E. Uh, that's episode number 125. If you guys hadn't listened to it, it's va- absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it's called, what's this called? Oh, AA is my God with skin on. Randy writes in and Randy says, Hey, John, my name is Randy C. Because God, my higher power, has a sense of humor, my sobriety date is 4 1 2017, April Fool's Day. (laughs) My home group is at 6 15 a.m. in the morning at the hub the Plains in Lubbock, Texas. I got married last September and now I live in Crane, Texas, a small West Texas town south of Odessa. The move and decision to get married have proven to be a true blessing. However, Crane only has one AA meeting per week, and I miss my daily 6.15 a.m. meetings, uh, two exclamation points. Sober Speak has truly been a godsend for me. I am able to listen to your podcast and keep my recovery bucket full between our weekly meetings. Thank you for pro- pro- proving providing, I think is what you mean, uh, uh, providing a voice for recovery out here in the oil patch, double exclamation point, respectfully, Randy C. Well, I'm glad that we can provide you some Meeting between meetings there, Randy. And I know what that's like to move away from a, a home group that you uh, truly enjoyed for a significant period of time. And uh, anyway, um, uh, anyway, keep us posted out there in the oil patch. Say hello to everyone out there in the oil patch for us, all right? Carmel writes in from New Zealand. And she says, hi, John. By the way, I have to tell this story. If you're from New Zealand uh so you folks know you're actually known as a uh, a kiwi and i was watching oh actually my wife was watching <laughs> this show last week called naked and afraid it's on the discovery channel if you're here in america you know most people will know what discovery channel is and i had, uh, we were watching that <laughs> as where these people, okay, so it's, it, there's nothing pornographic about it, right? They take these people um and they throw them out into the wilderness, like in the Amazon or something like that and they have to stay out there for like 21 days and they're naked when they go out there. Now, why they put the naked part, I have no idea in there. I, I guess it's just to to get viewers, but Anyway, they, they throw them out there in the wilderness and they have to survive in the wilderness for 21 days. And there are these two women on Naked and Afraid, um, that are absolutely (laughs) incredible, um, incredible. And, and they, and, and, and I heard my wife talking about it. And I said, I said, man, they really know a lot of stuff. I wonder how they learned all that stuff. And she said, they're Kiwis. And she said, aren't Kiwis from New Zealand? And I said, well, if you would listen to my podcast, my dear wife, you would know that Kiwis are indeed from New Zealand. It seems like we've talked about it every week lately, but nonetheless, that came up in a topic of conversation in our home. Anyway, back to the letter. Hello from New Zealand. I've been listening to your podcast now for about six weeks, and everything I've listened to has been amazing, inspiring, and so helpful. Well, maybe up to this point. I don't know how helpful or inspiring I'm being with that story. But nonetheless, she says, I've been, I've had, I've been having a pretty rough time lately. Mental pain in my early sobriety. Uh, and it's so hard. I'm in early sobriety. I'm so sorry. And it's so hard. It is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. You know, they say uh, that first year is like, the, uh, like 10 years. Anyway, she says, I have relapsed twice since coming to AA last year. The first time is 69 days. And the second time is 59 days, I'm currently 27 days and I hope to never drink again. I can relate, Miss Carmel. I have been in and out. I had been in and out of AA for several years myself. Kept picking up a ton of desire chips, and there are a ton of people out there listening right now who can relate to that. Anyway, she says uh, this time around, I have a much deeper connection to my higher power, and I am praying every day, starting with handing my life and my will over to God. Previously, when times were hard, I thought that God had abandoned me. I felt alone. And I was filled with self-hate and despair. And all I could see and feel was darkness. Man, I can relate to that feeling. I know that feeling. Through God, I have now found hope. Hope is giving me strength and helps me endure my mental pain. I hope that sobriety will take me to a happier and more more content place in my life. I have an awesome home group, and I am proud to be part of it. They are some of the best people I have ever met. I also have a fantastic sponsor. Thank you so much for bringing us Sober Speak. You are literally saving lives, triple exclamation point. Oh, Thank you. Um, oh, gosh, I don't even know what to say to that. Your enthusiasm and happiness makes me smile. Well, thank you. Your laugh makes me laugh. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I guess that's good. Your guest speakers are such incredible guides for for me on this challenging journey, much like Mr. Jimmy D and all the other people that I bring in here. that I added that last part. She says, thank you for your service. Big smiley face with clapping hands emoji. I think that's what that is. Best wishes to you and your family. Big praying hands twice. Carmel G. P.S., thanks for hooking me up to the secret Facebook group. It's an invaluable resource. Well, you're quite welcome. And uh, give all the Kiwis over there in New Zealand my best. Olivia writes in, hi, John. She says, my name is Olivia and I found your site from a friend. I subscribed to your your site to hear speakers. I live in Palms, California, and I am a member of the Pacific Group. I've been sober for 39 years, got sober in Orange County. My email address, oh, I asked her about her email address because it was... I don't want to say what her email address is here, but uh, I asked her about it because it was a unique email address. And she said, those were her cats who had passed over the Rainbow Bridge. Olivia, I'm sorry to hear that, Olivia. Uh, But I'm glad you have a way of remembering them. And Pacific Group, the famous Pacific Group, Uh, anyway, so many people know about it. Uh, uh, Tell Mr. Clancy I said hello, even though he has no idea who I am. Uh, But thank you for writing in, Olivia, and congratulations on your 39 years. Absolutely fantastic. Karen writes in. She said, hi, John. Thank you for the podcast. They are educational, inspirational and funny good on you for making them light as well as heavy well we try can you add me to the facebook group i'm guessing it's private and here is my facebook account actually i need your facebook email but we got you in there she says cheers karen s and a big praying hands big smiley face and a big thumbs up well thank you miss karen thanks for writing in Dwayne writes in and Dwayne says, John, as always, thank you for Sober Speak, my meeting between meetings. I all I wanted to let you know how much of an impact Renee E.'s message. This is the one we were just talking about a second ago. I think it's episode 125. A.A. is my God with skin on. He, he, she, he, he says, had on me and hope you can pass on the words to her. By the way, I did. In addition to the amazing quote, the rules apply to me also from George Clark, which really struck a nerve. I had a sincere moment of clarity listening to Renee discussing George's death. A few months before I stopped drinking, my best friend and best drinking buddy, Mike, died suddenly of a pulmonary embolism in his mid-40s, leaving behind his wife and five young children. His death shattered me. I descended into my own disease to try to escape the hard reality of it, and it damn near took my life. Listening to Renee talk about processing her grief, her advice on how to deal with the death, and of a close loved one, uh, while sober deeply de- deeply resonated with me her message from george i e tough crap kids stick it uh, suck it up and don't be a wimp and you don't have to like it but you have to do it hit me with a simple force of logic it was it was as if my best friend Mike was saying to me. Listening to Sober Speak, I came to the realization of just how close I came to giving up out of grief and alcoholic desperation while drinking and mourning Mike's death. I am pretty sure that if I had been handed the ability to end it all right then, I would have done so with no hesitation, mindless of the suffering of my own wife and daughter." Today, through Alcoholics Anonymous, I am so very grateful to have a set of spiritual tools to help me no matter what is thrown at me. Grief can be borne with dignity and resolve, as Renee did. Please thank her so very much for sharing her story with us. It helped me immensely. While I know that healing is going to take time, I know it will come. Renee reminded me of that. Dwayne M. Like I said, Dwayne, I passed that message on to her and she was very appreciative. Todd writes in. Todd with one D for what it's worth. I don't know if I really needed to say that, but nonetheless. Hi, John. As you know, I love your podcast. Your message is heaven sent. Big smiley face. Well, Mr. Todd, from my uh, perspective you are heaven sent. And he says, I am coming up on a year sober again, but I have been in and out around AA. A- have been in and out in around AA since 1982. Anyways, I have about 100 AA a friends here in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I wanted you to know I'm on a mission to tell all in big cap words and underline of them and underline about your podcast sir i hope some of them contact you And i hope they do too todd with one d sending you and yours well wishes from the black hills of south dakota say hi if you were ever in this beautiful area have a blessed day john todd with one d, I'm adding the one d part, you know, Todd, this is very interesting i have uh since I've been sober, I have traveled extensively by the grace of God uh and most of it for business and work uh and i have n- there are three states within the United States I have not been to uh Alaska is one of them, and then the other two are South Dakota and Montana. And I have got to check at least South Dakota and Montana off my list. And uh, I would love to get to the to the Black Hills of South Dakota, sir. And thank you for your invite. I'll let you know if I get up that way. Karina writes in and she says, John, I'm not sure how I found your podcast, but this is my first time listening to any podcast podcast. And I am here listening to Sober Speak, and I am so grateful that I found it. I started listening at episode 118 and have been current since then. And let me tell you that episode 121 and 122 have been my favorites. Well, here you go with Renee again. I really enjoyed listening to Renee's story, and I haven't really met a lot of women or ever heard of a lot of women in recovery for alcoholism or even going to AA we well, listen to this podcast a little bit more, Miss Karina. You'll find plenty. I haven't felt that I had someone I could relate to, and it was Renee for me. Well, I'm so glad. I am new to sobriety, sixty days, sixty three days in, and decided to make the choice after some really bad stuff. And that's usually the case with most of us. Karina uh, started happening to me. Of course, alcohol was behind all my poor decision making. I always wanted to quit, and it was my New Year's resolution almost every year for the past maybe like 10 years. But like I always, but like always, I didn't stop. Like Renee mentioned, I would change my mind on drinking to quote cut back, but it was all the same. And I am an alcoholic, and because my alcoholism didn't look like the others, I was okay. Well, I wasn't. Okay. And I wasn't until I read the first like, uh, read the first like of the 12 steps, we admitted we were wrong. We remember we were powerless over alcohol that our lives have become unmanageable. And that's exactly what was going on. So every day I take my step. I go to AA and I reflect on the 12 steps. I listen to your podcast and I try my best for me, for my family and for everyone that's watching me that might be questioning their own alcohol intake. If, I can do maybe, then they can do it. If I can do it, then maybe they can do it. That's what this is all about, sharing experience, strength, and hope. So thank you, John, for this podcast, and thank you for how you are. I appreciate it. Well, Miss Karina, right back at you. Thank you for how you are, and thank you for your feedback. So, so much appreciate it. All right, everybody. that. There's another week of a Sober Speak. Um, I hope to see all of you again next week. As I always say, one week at a time. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for all the feedback. It's what keeps me going. Until then, adios.